Welcome back to the True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Lauren. And I'm Michael. How's everybody doing? Ready for a serial killer that was working in the early 90s and has just recently been captured. This is uh, wow. breaking breaking news here. Right. Did you find this uh, looking for some five-minute murder topics? No. Oh, okay. Because no. no. this is typically the kind of stuff you cover on five-minute murder, but there's a little more to this one. Yeah, this one uh, was, was you know, helped along uh, and broken by DNA, but no no genealogy on this one, which is kind of my specialty on five-minute murder. Uh, oh, true, true. Always true. using genealogy, but yeah. Yeah, the genealogy stuff, man, it's 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 interesting how many cases. This one was good old CODIS. Good old CODIS. Oh, okay. Right on. Right on. But this what bastard got away with killing multiple women for 30 years before finally... Uh, code is connecting his DNA to the victims, but we'll get a, we'll get to all that in a bit. But yes. also, an interesting moniker, the package killer. Uh huh. It really is. Yeah, it really is. Like, I guess he put people in packages, or they found them in packages. Kinda. I don't know. It's a, it's a bit of a weird nickname. I don't know. It, I don't know if I, I like it. That's what I'm it's saying. A, it's intriguing. Like, it's intriguing. It makes you it, click. And I'm like. Um, okay, I kind of see how you got that moniker, but then it you also know, makes you think of like the Unabomber. Like, is he like bombing people with packages? That's what you. That's what initially what I think. Uh, when I hear that. Yes, yes, yeah. Not even close or, to that. Or he's just going on people's steps and he's not stealing their Amazon packages. He's just destroying them. Right. That'd be that'd be killer. like something. Yeah. yeah, that'd be something for like. Excuse me, that's illegal. That's like some that'd softcore crime. New. Yeah. That's, <laughs> package. That's interesting. You're just an asshole. You just go and start destroying people's stuff. Yeah. On yeah. <laughs> Because they got those porch pirates, right? But what if you were just yeah. a uh, you're just an a asshole porch barbarian? You just run up and just smash <laughs> it with a sledgehammer. You're a porch Viking. You just go and destroy shit. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Keep on and just sail away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into this thing, man. We got a lot to cover in this one. Um, Indeed. But yeah, just recently solved in 2022, thanks to DNA yet again. But. All right. uh, Let's dive into it. After more than 30 years, a serial murder cold case with St. Louis ties appears to have been solved. His hunting ground was an area once known as the Cherokee Street Stroll. It's a decades-old unsolved cold case. Police say 73-year-old Gary Muhlberg is behind at least five St. Louis murders that happened more than 30 years ago. Did he have any explanation? No, he said he had a great family and a great upbringing. These particular cases were quite gruesome and heinous. I want people to realize that these girls were daughters and sisters and mothers, and they were more than just girls that were out street walking. A police say that the women disappeared in 1990 and 1991 along the Southside Stroll, a part of Cherokee Street known for prostitution and drug dealing. Justice is coming. <laughs> yes, it is. Finally. The way he disposed of, these of his victims, according to that information, connected these two and other murders. He says that he disposed of the young lady in a metal barrel, and he left her body in a self-serve car wash. I've been waiting for this for a long time. It has totally traumatized me. I have to forgive him. I pray for him, and may God have mercy on his soul. All right, for this week's case, we're doing the package killer out of St. Louis, Missouri. Um, the package killer is a name attributed to the American serial killer who murdered between three and five women in the St. Louis area from 1990 to 1991. His pseudonym comes from the ways that he discarded of the bodies uh, conspicuously in quote-unquote packages between a pair of mattresses in a large trash bin in a plywood box all along major highways so they could be easily found. So he basically right, right. put them in in some sort of... Uh, you know, it can confinement yeah. on the side of the highway, uh, wanting right. them to be found like a package. Like, like we said police. earlier, yeah, I guess, but like we said earlier, I don't know. Package was, I think they were kind of reaching for a nickname here. They yeah. needed something. And it's like two mattresses, not really a package in my opinion. Right. No, yeah. I've never seen anything get delivered that way between maybe some drugs. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sent like, yeah. Over across the country and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. But for more than three decades, the package killer remained the city's most notorious serial murderer that, to elude justice until it was just recently solved this year in 2022. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So let's get into the discovery of these, these victims' bodies piling up. Um, on March 22nd, 1990, 19-year-old Robin Meehan uh, was reported missing. She had been seen on the south side stroll of St. Louis's Missouri's then red light district. So this was a stretch mm. of road. 
okay. and kind of downtown St. Louis that was known for, you know, uh, sex workers. Sex work. Yeah. Right. Drug activity, things along those lines. And this gotcha. is where this killer was targeting his victims, was on this Southside yes. Stroll. Very much like Gary Ridgeway, Green yep. River Killer type deal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Meehan, already a mother of two at 18 years old, had established a call girl phone line with her friend as a way to make money via sex work while avoiding this, walking the street. So she was trying to stay off the street, stay off the Southside Stroll by working, right. you know, working as a call girl over the phone. However, on this night, the escort service phone sat silent, um, and Meehan, in the grips of a uh, severe crack addiction, was desperate for desperate enough for money to hit the streets mm. yet again. And right. unfortunately, that was the last time she was seen alive. Four days later, on March 26, her body was discovered alongside a highway stuffed between two mattresses in Silix, Missouri, which is quite a ways away from the Southside Stroll. Silix, way north, yeah. like northwest, uh, I believe, of downtown St. Louis. So this person took her quite a ways away. But uh, pretty typical MO, though, for a serial killer. They yeah. do a lot of driving. We know this. So mm-hmm. if he's if he's working in this area, if this is where he's hunting, he's not going to be put, placing the bodies there as well. Right. Because he's going to want to frequent this place. Very true. Yeah, right. You don't shit where you eat, I guess. If it's, yeah. I don't know. Kind of in a, mm-hmm. not the best way of putting it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, an autopsy would show that she had been strangled and her hands were bound together. Uh, a former boyfriend of hers named Corky was shown photos of her corpse taken by the medical examiner. And the photos showed... Uh, the torture that would still haunt him 30 years later. He said, quote, whoever did that to Robin deserves to be sent to hell the same way he sent Robin to heaven. Damn. So I'm sure they were. Did you find any of these pictures? I wasn't able to find uh, any early crime scene photos. Not that I, you know. Yeah. I just didn't see any during my research. I didn't either. I didn't but know. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you get the picture from reading it. I don't know if I need to see it. I've seen enough horrific stuff. I know, I right? I can picture <laughs> it already. I don't need to see it. Yeah. You know, okay. it already popped in my head. Right, right. Um, then three months later, on June 11th, 1990, the body of 40-year-old Donna Rittmeyer was found inside of a rubber trash bin near South Broadway. Her body was so badly decomposed that the cause of death remains unknown, but signs of violence were located. So there was clear signs probably around the neck and things like that. I was about to say, it's yeah. It's common MO for Ligature this marks. Yeah. 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 Then four months after that, on October 4th, 1990, the body of a woman was found inside of a plastic trash can uh, along the roadside near... Interstate 270 by a jogger who had noticed a foul odor coming from this trash can. Mm. Got to be real bad odor for you to check out a trash can, right? Because they already stink as it is. I and know, what, I right? Mean, how, how many trash cans already had like rotten meat in them to begin with? Some old chicken that someone threw out or oh, whatever. Oh, God. I know. I know. It's got to be right. real bad for me to go investigate. Those joggers, man, they're so curious. If we're for joggers, all- <laughs> man, I don't think any bodies would ever get found, really. We would never find any. No. Joggers, hikers, That's- campers. Right. Those You're the only ones people. to find bodies. Yeah, I'm just waiting for it to be my turn because I've done a lot of that in my time. Not so much jogging, but right? hiking, camping, exploring. Yeah, you're de- you're bound to find Hunting. something statistically. Yeah. Right, eventually. I'll, I'll you'll be the first to know on this show. Okay, great. <laughs> right on. We'll, we'll just share the story on the show and not even call the cops. Right. Right. <laughs> so we'll just send them the download or send them the. There we go. <laughs> send them the audio hey, file. Check this out. About uh, 13 minutes in, we right. start talking about it. <laughs> right. Hashtag keep creeping. <laughs> so the woman remained unidentified for months until police were able to confirm that the woman was 27-year-old Brenda Jean Pruitt, whose family had reported her missing back on May 9th. And these women all uh, had the common uh, lifestyle in, in, in that they were sex workers and they were on the south side right. stroll. Like I said, this the killer was targeting girls working in this area. Right, right. Then on February 17th, 1991, the body of a woman was found stuffed into a wooden box along the I-70. The victim was found to have been wearing a stocking cap, and authorities released the type of cap in hopes to identify the body, which later uh, worked in that she was identified as 21-year-old Sandy Little, who had been missing since September 4th, 1990. So it took quite a while for her body to be found, um, mm-hmm. you know, being uh, abducted in September and then not found till February of the following year. Right. And like the other victims, she was known to frequent the Southside Stroll, working in the sex trade. Uh, something unfortunate, she had a boyfriend that looked after her um, and usually would be on the Southside Stroll with her when she was working at night. So, however, he was locked up for, I think, an overnight stay in jail when she was abducted. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Man, all of these women... he carries that guilt. All of these women would be found with ligatures around their neck and their faces covered. 
In addition, in addition to the victims all being tied, they were tied with similar Connex cable and other physical evidence connected the murders of Pruitt, Meehan, and Little. Uh, the three women had hair of the same type of dog uh, on the clothes that they were found in, mm. meaning they were likely held in close proximity to the same animal. So it leads right. you to believe that this person was taking them to uh, maybe their home, some location where yeah. he was keeping them long enough for his animal's hair to get on them. Right. That dog hair, man, it gets everywhere. If you're a serial oh, yeah. killer, you got to be careful what kind of dog breed you have. For sure. Right? For sure. Yeah, I'd <laughs> yeah. probably have like a hairless cat if I were a serial yeah. killer. But yeah, one of those hairless chihuahuas <laughs> just shaking oh, in the corner. Yeah. It just adds to the yeah. horror too. Here's some advice. Don't have a German Shepherd if you're a serial killer. Their hair is literally everywhere. If I'm being held captive, it just makes it that much worse that there's like a hairless chihuahua running around. Just a hideous animal. <laughs> just- just like, annoying course, the shit out of you. Of course, that would be it's, the best friend of a serial killer, a hairless right? fucking chihuahua. And chihuahuas have the worst attitude, too, and it's ugly because it's hairless. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. God. <clears throat> so police at this point knew that there was a serial killer out there that was targeting sec- sex workers, and they they began to work with other agencies. After February of 1991, uh, the captain of this uh, investigation said the Lu- St. Louis Major Case Squad came to an agreement with federal law enforcement and that the next time that the package killer struck, the local police would seal off the scene so that investigators from the FBI could fly in from Quantico and process all of the evidence. So now they're getting the FBI involved. Yeah. Um, however, Unfortunately. the package killer must have sensed all of this heat and knew that the time to change the MO was was up. And it's not all that uncommon, people. I think it's a common thought that killers just they keep the same MO forever. Not the case at times when they sense that they're close to being caught. If they're not wanting to be caught, some of them do want to be caught. We've seen that. And then they don't change their MO. But, uh, and you know, you got to think this is early 90s. Most people are still watching daytime TV, they're watching the news every night. Yeah. Right. So a lot of people are seeing the same information. Yeah. You know, and also, now, 1991, yeah. now the killers are more made aware of DNA. That's mm-hmm. we're into that era, and they're very well, very aware of the concept of a serial killer. Which the, a lot of the people we've covered, the serial killers we've covered in the seventies, they weren't even aware that there was a you know a term serial killer yet. They didn't know what they were. Right. They were just someone who liked to kill people. That's and right. That's so right. yeah. Like th- this killer is aware that law enforcement is aware of a serial killer and how to catch them at this point. That's exactly so. He changes his MO at this point. We la- we later come to find out. The police at the time just thought that this killer just stopped killing, and that was that. And they mm-hmm. thought that for like 30 years. Yeah, but we know better than that. Yeah. So if investigators killed three or four times, they can't help it at this point. Yeah. Investigators assumed that because the dead women stopped showing up in containers along highways, the package killer must have stopped taking lives. Of course, they were wrong. This killer simply changed his MO due to all of the pressure. Um, and on May 12th, 1991, the body of 37 year old Sandra Kane was found along roadside interstate 44 and an autopsy wouldn't, wasn't able to confirm the cause of death, but narrowed it down that she had either been hit by a car or thrown off an overpass. And they did not connect wow. this victim to, you know, this serial killer, the package killer, quote unquote. Right. Um, Kane had also worked as a sex worker and knew prior victim, Sandy Little. Sandy had even warned Sandra Kane not to go with a man in a station wagon. And so, oh, no. Yeah, kind of a creepy foreshadowing moment. But uh, even even though she worked in the same trade and had known one of the prior victims, the police did not connect this victim to the package killer. Mm, well, it that's it's just like what we've seen with all these cases in the past. You know, if you target the right people, police yeah. are a little less motivated. I mean, yes, she may have known the previous victim, but she was also a sex worker who worked in this red light district who they probably weren't real focused on solving her murder. No, Especially like, yeah, since this the MO didn't match leads up. to tragedy more often than not is what they were thinking. Is she exactly by a car or something like that or committed suicide or who knows? Or got thrown from a vehicle, maybe yeah. in a disagreement. Maybe the guy didn't want to pay her. Maybe throws her from a vehicle, mm-hmm. whatever. But yeah, the fact that the MO didn't match up too. She wasn't found in any type of package. She wasn't found in any type of trash can or receptacle or nothing like that. So, you know, I mean, they assumed it was someone else. Yep. Just another and they random did, killing. To their credit, St. Louis police, along with other law enforcement agencies, did they, they definitely tried to catch this killer. Throughout the 1990s, detectives continued working this case, investigating more than 450 leads over three years. But the real package killer was never on their radar. That's uh, hard more to than, believe. Quote, God. more than 50 investigators worked on these cases back in the day, and not one linked anything to this actual killer. That's insane. Yeah. 
did they know about the station wagon or was this like like way hindsight you know what i mean did this shit come out later yeah it's oh, frustrating. But we also know that this killer was prone to steal vehicles as well. Yeah. So he could have had different vehicles. That was no no big deal for him to pick up a different car. And in the 90s, I mean, breaking into a vehicle, come on. Most of the vehicles on the road were still probably 70s, 80s models. Yeah, they I believe part of what into. he was doing during the time he was killing, I think he was buying and selling used vehicles, right? Oh, and as well, we mentioned, go. we tried to he the one he later gets locked up for killing a guy that he was trying to sell a stolen vehicle to. Yes, so, like you said, probably changing vehicles constantly during the time that he's abducting right. these women. Absolutely. So, police they you know these bodies stop pop, popping up in the same manner. The package killer is has apparently ceased to continue what he's doing and in 1995 a series of a series of similar murders occurred in st petersburg florida and st louis detectives were intrigued enough to travel there and investigate they had no idea that the package killer had already been sentenced to life in prison earlier that year in 1993 Mm. in a case that did not involve packages sex workers or even a woman so let's jump forward a couple decades to april of this year 2022 Jody Weber, a 22-year-old veteran detective with the O'Fallon Police Department in Missouri, had been interested in the package killer cold case since 2008. Hold on one second. You said she was 22 years old. She's actually a 22-year veteran. Oh, did I say she was 22? 22. Yeah. Man, she's she's basically been doing it since she was born, huh? I know, right? I was like, damn, she's 22? uh, (laughs) 22 years on the force. Yeah, there you go. They slapped a badge on her when she came out. (laughs) We can tell. Sometimes we can just tell. She's going to be a good one. Sorry for that. So a 22-year veteran of the O'Fallon Police Department, Jody Weber, clearly not 22 years old. Right, right. um, She had been obsessed with the package killer case, which was now cold. She became obsessed with it in 2008. She said that uh, it became her passion. For 14 years, she worked on it by herself, pouring over the old reports and re-interviewing key people. Most of all, she was waiting for for technology to advance to the point where the remaining pieces of physical evidence from 1990 could be tested for DNA. They yes. probably had to wait until the DNA testing Dude. could be uh, used for tiny pr- traces of DNA that were still, you know, on these articles of clothing. Yes. Yeah. It's just, it's it's intriguing to me that a lot of these cases get solved just because one or two people on the force just can't let it go. Yeah. Or maybe they just become obsessed with it. Maybe they remember the case from when they were younger or something like that. Yep. They get on the force and then just the fact that they can't let it go mm-hmm. is what solves these cases. Yeah. You know, everyone else is like, oh, whatever. You know, it's 30 years old. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. The guy's we probably did everything dead, we could. You're right? never going to solve it. We've already looked at right. all that same stuff. You're wasting your time. Right. But it all it only takes one person yeah. that's just hard-headed enough. Yeah. Especially, especially with technology that we have today. Yep. Yeah. So her meticulous investigation crawled along for more than a decade. Then some, in summer, a major breakthrough came. The lab said, we got a hit. We don't know who it is, but we got a hit. Nice. And... So it was a long. It wasn't long until Weber had a name to match the DNA that they had on, uh, you know, in storage all these years. And the name that came back through CODIS was Gary Muehlberg. Detectives mm-hmm. had no idea who the hell this guy was. Like we said, he was never on their radar. They described boxes upon boxes of reports, evidence, and other material associated with the case. All of it stored in the Maryland Heights Police Station that Weber went through all again. But Muehlberg's name was nowhere in the countless pages of interviews and witness statements. So they were wasting their time all all along interviewing all of these countless people that never even had an inkling that this guy was part of it. Uh, That's unbelievable. Yeah. It really is. And he was a career criminal. It's not like this guy was just like uh, right. Mr. Perfect. We've seen some of those serial killers where they have, you know, they're an IT guy by day and they they got a right, family at right. home and you would never suspect. Now, this guy was like right. a scumbag. Everyone thought he was a creep. Yeah, everybody knew that. <laughs> everybody was like, this guy is probably a serial killer. Yeah. Only came out at night, used first yeah. name basis. Yeah. Hung out in seedy areas, always switching cars. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Come on. Turns out he killed another guy in 93 and was locked up for life because of that. Oh, jeez. So Maryland Heights Police uh, Chief Bill Larson acknowledges that Muehlberg was not on the radar before that. Quote, it wasn't until the DNA match came back. Then we started looking at this guy and all the pieces started falling into place. Gary, who's now 73, was already in prison serving a life sentence for killing a man in 1993. So let's go into this Mm. guy, how he became the package killer and how, you know, we know how he got caught now. Right. But how did he end up in prison for life? We got to go through that murder as well. Yeah. So... Gary Muehlberg was born in 1949. We don't have an exact birth date um, to do the birthday segment there. Dang. Um, but uh, he grew up in 
uh, Bellefontaine Neighbors, which is a suburb city of St. Louis. That's the name of the whole city, Bellefontaine Neighbors? Yeah, that's the name. Wow. Okay. His father, William, had been a policeman until he he left to join the military during World War II, earning a Purple Heart after being wounded in the Pacific Theater. He later served as a mayor of Bellefontaine Neighbors uh, for one term from 1955 to 1957. So this guy, his dad was quite accomplished, quite accomplished. A Purple Heart for for fighting in World War II and then becomes a mayor of the town that that young Gary grew up in. Less yeah, is what known with Gary, <laughs> right? Less is known oh, about uh, his mother, Palmyra. But in 1966, when Gary was 17, the family moved to Salina, Kansas, where his father took a job with an oil company. Like their father, Gary and his brother Ronald enlisted in the military during the Vietnam War, where Gary completed basic training in 1966 or 68, and it's not clear whether he ever was deployed overseas. That same year, his older brother, who was 21, died during the Battle of Mekong Delta. So his brother dies at war. His father was a decorated war veteran, but we're not sure exactly what Gary did all, you know, did he fight in Vietnam? We don't know. Yeah, we don't know. I know he had a problem with authority as most serial killers do. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if he was discharged for being, I was about to say hard to manage, you know, and just not, yeah, he probably dipped after basic training. If I had my guess. Around 1970 in June, he married for the first time and two years into his first marriage is when we see the true side of Gary come out, the dark side. In February of 1972, Gary was charged with rape, kidnapping, and aggravated robbery after breaking into a house in Salina where an 18-year-old girl was home alone. She told the police that the 23-year-old Gary Muehlberg at the time held her at knife point, raped her, and then forced her to accompany him to a bank to withdraw $25. A judge ordered a mental competency examination be done on him prior to his trial, and he was convicted of the robbery charge but acquitted of rape. Forced, so he what? breaks into oh this 18-year-old girl's home, f- rapes her at knife point, and uh-huh. all they give him is a robbery charge. They were probably unable to prove the rape or something. So I don't get it. I still don't get it. I mean. Yeah. I mean, he's alone with her in the home, held her at gunpoint, and it's like some reason you have a hard time believing that he would rape her as well. Yeah. With a history of violence. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Know. After spending a month in prison, he was ordered to check into the treatment facility at the VA facility in Topeka, though it's not clear if he ever did check in. It's the 70s for you, right? I mean, they just... Yeah, they just didn't care, <laughs> they apparently. They didn't care about people's <laughs> mental keep health. keep track of They're anything. They're just like, eh, they'll figure it out. Yeah, maybe he was in the military, maybe he wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he Shit. went and checked into rehab, maybe he didn't. I yeah, mean, maybe he didn't. Who knows? Not our problem. He'll probably move on to some other town and kill someone there. Then it won't be our problem. Yeah, exactly. So Jeez. in January of the following year in Salina, a 14-year-old was babysitting an even younger child when Muehlberg knocked on the door, asking if he could use the telephone. Brandishing a knife, he told her he was going to rob the house. He then tied and gagged the young girl, locked her in a bathroom, and began filling the bathtub with water, which is fucking creepy to think. What the hell was his plan here? Thankfully, the plan got thwarted because a car drove by and, and Muehlberg panicked. Thinking it was the girl's parents, he fled. Whew. But he's got her fucking hogtied, essentially, and filling up the bathtub. Was he going to, like, drown yeah, her? Yeah, he was going to drown her. I don't get it. Most definitely he was. He's clearly got off on torturing people, right? We see that later. Yes, absolutely. Some sadist. kind of a sexual sadist. Yeah. He was again charged with aggravated assault. At trial, uh, Muehlberg's lawyer tried to claim that Muehlberg had gone insane at the time of the incident. His wife, his mother, and a psychiatrist all testified in his defense. Uh, you imagine? Like... Mm-mm. testifying his in your mother, defense of your son who tied up a 14-year-old girl and was going to drown her in a bathtub. So check I'm this sorry, out. I'm sorry. I'm writing you off. If my son does this, fuck him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's care. not many You're things son, that would make me write you. off my child, but yeah, this is one of them. That's one right there, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny, you know, earlier you said not much was known about his mother, and then here we go. I mean, what yep. more do you need to know than this? Right. Sounds like a doting mother to me, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you're willing to testify in your son's defense on his second Very good point. Very good point. Very good point. Yeah, I mean, he's already raped a woman at knife point. She had to have been made aware of the details of that, right? That he already got Mm -hmm. away with and only got assault for. And now he's tying up a 14-year-old girl and you're still testifying his defense? Yeah. And you're his mother. There had to have been subtleties throughout his childhood. It was like, hmm, maybe he's not going to be quite right. Maybe Gary's not... Not yeah. all good. Was it Colehep? <laughs> Todd Colehep? Was it him that his mother did the same thing? Yes. Yes. Where Todd Colehep. All the way to the end, she hit her boy South Carolina. Wrong. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And you see what he did. 
I yep. mean, God. Similar shit. You know, keeping women Very, captive. Yeah. And, Very similar and torturing shit. them and all of that. Yeah. Very Todd similar. Cole had a little more like immediate rage, I guess, than Gary did. He was a little less planned. Because yeah. remember, he he also murdered those people in the motorcycle shop just for making fun of them. Oh, yeah. Like that dude. Yeah, that always was... gets shoved under the rug because he was arrested with the girl in the trailer. But, I mean, God, the the, the massacre that happened yeah. in that motorcycle shop yeah. cannot be downplayed. I mean, that yeah. right there, that's as dangerous as you can get, man. Yeah. That just fly. <laughs> Jesus. So... So after his wife, his mother, and a psychiatrist testified to his defense, the jury was not buying it. They still found Muehlberg guilty, and he was sentenced to five years in prison. So Good. later in 1973, Muehlberg's first wife would divorce him, and he had little contact with his first wife or son after this first mar- after that marriage after uh, thereafter. So he had a son with her, but after you know being arrested for this assault his wife divorced him and he basically moved on and didn't really be, play a role in their life anymore thankfully for that boy right you don't yeah, need this really. guy as a important role model for you don't need that father figure no so the same year uh, his mother and father moved back to st louis where his father died of a heart attack soon after and upon his release from prison Muehlberg attended classes at central methodist college and central missouri state before moving to st louis in the late 1970s he would marry again in 1980, and his second wife stayed with him for six years before divorcing him in 1986, and she had some interesting insights into the, the person that was Gary Muehlberg. She described him as an unremarkable husband who was just fine as a father. Quote, just unquote, fine. fine. Andy? I mean, I mean Lauren? <laughs> I've been talking to Andy too much lately. Oh. Yeah. Just fine. Yeah, he was fine. just fine as a father. Okay. You know, and it tells you something, because like if I think if our wives were to you know, if someone asked what kind of father we are, it would be a lot more than just fine. It'd be like, yeah, you know, I would hope so. Exactly. I would hope so. A little more enthused, a little more elaborate, especially yeah. uh, in a court. Yeah. <laughs> um, she said that he always had a problem, uh, had problems with authority at work, and he always resented having to listen to a boss, which is quite typical of serial killers. You know, mm-hmm. narcissism at play. Right. They think they know better yep. than everyone. Who are you to tell me? I already know. How dare you? After the divorce, she says, he wasn't particularly interested in spending time with his two children who lived with her, but also frequently spent time at Muehlberg, with Muehlberg's mother. Oh, oh no. so great. She's going to, oh, no. Oh, great. Oh, no, now she's she, back. <laughs> now she's got a chance to make two more. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Muehlberg himself was rarely a presence in their lives. Quote, I got away from him, she says, and I was glad I did after I found out what he was later on. Yeah, she later finds out he was a serial killer. Right. Can you uh, imagine, dude? Right. Imagine chill, thir- thirty children years with this later. Person? Yeah, thirty years later, you find out that the father of your children was a serial killer. Yeah. yeah. Before you and even you're just got so together. thankful that you you pulled the trigger and divorced him, but way back when, because who knows what would yeah. happen otherwise. But otherwise, he was fine. Yeah, he was a fine father. <laughs> God, that'd be that would be so depressing if I heard my wife said that how, as about me as oh, a father. Oh God, yeah, he's fine. I know. <laughs> I'd be like, fuck. Right? Oh, damn. I need to like, reevaluate my life. Right? <laughs> so Gary Muehlberg is believed to have abducted and killed his first victim in March of 1990, Robin Meehan, who we, we talked about earlier. He would go on to do this another four times over the next year, taking them back to his home to torture them before finally killing them. He lived in a rundown house in an out-of-the-way uh, street in Bell Ridge. His home was filthy and in disarray, and it had a basement where he maintained a secret room with a false wall that was basically drywall that you could open in, in this room where it's believed that he either kept the bodies of the victims or maybe even kept them captive in there. Yeah, probably a little uh, both. Yeah, given what we know, the basement became what was most certainly a torture chamber for the women he brought back to the, from the South Side Stroll. In February of 1991, the same month that Muehlberg allegedly left Sandy Little's body beside the highway in O'Fallon, Missouri, a fire destroyed a portion of Muehlberg's home in Bell Ridge. And the timing of this was interesting. It occurred mm-hmm. in the basement where Muehlberg almost certainly had been keeping the bodies of his victims and in some uh, cases for months, and it likely destroyed some important evidence. So yeah, I'm sure oh, there was sure. plenty of the DNA of these victims in oh, there, my blood and who knows what. Yes. That was oh, destroyed. Oh, you know it. Blood, hair. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. In those years, Muehlberg was a regular at a diner, the, a restaurant that was open 24 hours a day in Overland. It was uh, apparently a, a, you know, became a seedy hangout at, at, at night where all of these interesting characters would conglomerate. It, quote, it was your friendly neighborhood coffee shop, says Larry Kennedy, a regular who got to know Muehlberg, 
aside from the people who went there at night. So it became Uh-oh. something different at night. Another right. regular from that time said that the diner became a host to a wild crowd where people would avoid telling each other their last names. Oh, like Waffle House. Yeah, exactly, right? It's like Waffle House after midnight. Man, there's some serious <laughs> scraps that go down at Waffle House at night. Oh, hell yeah. People getting hit with chairs, and it becomes like a WWE but, match in there. Right. But if you go on like a Saturday morning at 10, oh, yeah. it's, it's the nicest Chill. crowd you've ever seen, right? right? Yeah. yeah, it's family environment. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't there like a Denny's thing, something slam, the slam breakfast or something like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Grand Slam breakfast. Yeah. The all-star breakfast is at Waffle House, and then the Denny's Grand Slam, I think. They really should buy the rights to that over at the Waffle House, and then you have the the midnight Grand Slam where it's just like people getting hit with chairs and shit (laughs) at your breakfast. (laughs) Sounds like a wrestling match. (laughs) Bring out the cage match. (laughs) Right. So this this diner that beget that became you know something different at night. Mielberg was of course a part of that crowd. Kennedy mm-hmm. says, "quote You'd see him there at ten, eleven, twelve o'clock, and then he'd be there uh, off and on the rest of the night." Mielberg would apparently stalk his waitress girlfriend, uh, often posting up at the diner for the majority of her shift. Regulars say, "quote He was always staring down at somebody." One set of Gary, who stands at six foot three inches. Gary didn't like anybody who didn't respect the way he lived. So he was, okay. once again, a narcissist that, you know, thought his way was the only way and anybody that didn't like him, he had a problem with him. Absolutely. Absolutely. Took offense. When someone uh, that Gary didn't like came in to eat, he would wait outside by his van, peering until the person he disliked left. So, of course, he had a van as well. <laughs> How petty. So he's just creeping in the parking lot next to his van, staring inside. Uh, right. Just standing next to his Astro van. Right. Glaring at people. Honestly, it's kind of a bitch creep, move, bro. though. Like that, yeah, that, that really would is. to me, that would make me feel powerful. If I go inside and I can hang out as long as I want and you're not going to come in until I leave. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'd be like, this is actually better for me. Right. This works for me. Yeah. You can stand out there <laughs> pure in the darkness, whatever. Yeah. You stand out there in the cold. I don't give a shit. Exactly. <laughs> I'll eat my eggs. Fuck you. <laughs> right. So, oh, uh, a woman named Deborah Layton who frequent, uh, frequented and later worked at the diner said, quote, Gary Muehlberg was crazy. He was always bringing women to this, to his house. He was a very bizarre man. He had bizarre ideas and he was, he was, uh, dirty. Like he never cleaned himself. Mm. Quote, now that's, that's not as typical with serial killers. Usually they try to blend in and not draw so much attention to themselves. They're not, I mean, I guess there are some who spend a lot of time on the road and get kind of nasty. Yeah. Like, I imagine William Bonin and Vernon Butts probably weren't the most hygienic pair there. Yeah, I don't think... Know? But I don't think most of most our silicones we've done had great hygiene. I don't think they were rocking on my guy in their pits. Yeah, No, 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 no definitely not. But, yeah. I mean, like, Bundy was probably relatively yeah, probably clean. It was kind of... It, it was part of his... It was part of the allure, right? Yeah. He had to be somewhat clean or whatnot. And same oh, yeah, way with, like, was... Gacy. You know, Gacy was always clean-cut. You know, probably yeah. showered because he had to present himself in front of people in the right. cities and whatnot. Different types of killers, though. This guy, no doubt, no doubt. Because yeah. then you have the the dirty, grungy. There's plenty of those too. Richard Ramirez, yeah, nasty. Oh yeah, bad hygiene. Never brushes yeah. his teeth. Yeah, Cole Hep, I think probably stunk too. Oh yeah, this guy Todd reminds Cole me very much of him. He just lives so far out in the woods too. Yeah, you know, it's like after a while, when you have twenty of acres to exist on, like you don't really give a shit anymore i think (laughs) live out in backwoods places too yeah and particularly these guys these killers we've covered that would bring back victims and like basically have their bodies in their home for a while and those sort of things they're not the not the cleanest type obviously if you're willing to live with a corpse exactly reminds me of the picton brothers robert picton and his brother oh they're so there's not enough on my guy i mean this stuff works but jesus you'd have to dump it you'd have to dump it on them yeah yeah so another quote he was kind of he kind of thought he was it but no one really wanted to do anything with him from what i learned later i was he was picking up waitresses from waffle houses and places like that so right makes sense taking the 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 low-hanging fruit i guess both Leighton and the brother of a woman muehlberg dated at the time say that muehlberg often bragged about being an officer in the freemasons and he had a highly inflated sense of self-importance Quote, he always mm. talked about what secret organization it was and that he helped children so nobody would ever investigate the Masons. Dude, we need to investigate the Masons. <laughs> Let's not like go down that road. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a, Is that a bad idea? Yeah, it's a bad idea. They seem like they have a lot of time on their hands to go after a they podcast really do. If, they went, if we went after them. And they are really proud. Masons yeah. are proud people. Yeah. They are proud peeps. That's not I a don't fight. Know what goes on fight. Let's, let's let them be. <laughs> There's too many of them. Is that is that That's what you're right. worried about? I think we should let DB be and let the Masons be. 
Let the Masons be. Yeah. Right. All they're doing is helping burn children, I'm sure. Yeah. Don't worry about it. <clears throat> yeah. Another quote. He was more narcissistic, narcissistic than he was anything. Muhlberg had previously worked in construction, but in 1993, the 43-year-old was telling others that he was in bad health, and instead of manual labor, he sold marijuana and dabbled in buying and selling used cars, something we briefly mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. What's up, Creepers? Let's talk about this week's sponsor, Everlywell. A change in season means longer days, better outdoor activities, and more ways to get healthier, including checking in on your health and wellness. With Everlywell, you can take action today by taking one of their at-home lab tests or by adding their vitamins and supplements into your daily routine. Everlywell is digital healthcare designed for you, all at an affordable and transparent price. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you'll be able to choose the test that makes the most sense for you and get the answers you need, like the women's health test or food sensitivity test. Everlywell also has high-quality vitamins and supplements to support your overall health. Choose from a variety of options, including vitamin D3 and omega-3 fish oil. So here's how it works. Everlywell ships products straight to you with everything you need in one package. To take your at-home lab test, simply collect your sample and use the included prepaid shipping label to mail your test back to a certified lab. Your physician-reviewed results get sent to your phone or device in days. And you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide next steps. If you ordered vitamins and supplements, you can start adding them to your daily routine right away. It's so simple. Over 1 million people have trusted Everlywell to support their health and wellness goals. And you should too. My wife and I both took the food sensitivity test. It was super easy and quick, and we found out a lot of things about our genetics. Apparently, I am quite sensitive to histamines, and my wife is very sensitive to gluten. So we've changed our diets accordingly and feel so much better on a daily basis. I also received some vitamin D3 from Everlywell and added that to my daily regimen and noticed that I would have some occasional brain fog prior, and this seemed to clear that up. For listeners of the show, Everlywell is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash creeper. That's everlywell.com slash creeper for 20% off your next at-home lab test. Everlywell.com slash creeper. Uh, this guy, Layton, said that in the early 90s, Muhlberg tried to recruit her husband into bur- his burgeoning marijuana business. Muhlberg even showed her husband where he kept his stash, so he took him to that basement where that false mm-hmm. wall was. Quote, he took him over to the house and showed him a false wall in the basement and said, I got all these bricks of weed. Do you want to help me get rid of them? You know he didn't get those, like, I don't know if it's a legal way to buy a bunch of bricks of weed, but, like, he definitely stole these. Right. Right? There's no you fucking so? chance. He bought them at a, you know, and then was going to upcharge or whatever and do it the right way. Well, you don't never know. He could have he could have stole a car, traded the car for him. I mean, you know, this guy, yeah, he wasn't above doing shit like that. No, I doubt that he paid for them all up front from a dealer or whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, either way, I'm sure he got them in some nefarious way. Or maybe he found a dealer and killed his ass. That's I what mean, I'm saying. Know. It's probably something along those yeah. lines. He just didn't seem yeah. like he was willing to pay anybody for anything because he thought he was so much better than everyone. Absolutely. We see Absolutely. that with the way this car deal goes down. So, quote, he was the type of guy who was always sniffing around trying to make a quick buck, says another diner regular at the time whose name asked to not be used. But in February of 1993, Muhlberg spread word around the diner that he was trying to offload a 1989 Cadillac Fleetwood. I got to see what mm. a 1989 Cadillac Fleetwood looks I like. I know, right? Probably yeah. a pretty nice car. Let me take a look. Yeah, I got to see this too. No, it's a. it looks like a... Like your grandpa's car, basically. If you, oh yeah, you grew I up in the those. '90s. This is the car your grandfather yep. drove, drove right you've here. You've seen, you've seen this shit. It a smelled lot. like shoe leather and uh, aftershave yeah. inside yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, these cars are too popular. Yeah, they were too popular. You don't see them on the road anymore. So looks like a comfortable anything. ride though. Probably just soaked up. The well, it's a caddy, bro. And, That's the one yeah. thing they're good at. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like riding on a magic carpet. I'm yeah. sure you're just like. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> God forbid you get in an accident against one of these tanks, too. I know, right? All right. So he yeah, he puts out word that he's trying to sell this 1989 Cadillac Fleetwood. And a guy named Kenneth Doc Atchison, another regular at the diner, was interested in purchasing the car. So on yeah. February 8th, uh, Atchison told Kennedy and Layton that he was never go- that he was going over to Muhlberg's house with six thousand dollars to buy the car. And these two regulars that they were, they were you know knew what kind of guy that Gary Muhlberg was. They tried to warn him about him going over there alone with that six thousand dollars. Yeah, as they knew Muhlberg had always been a menace and was you know involved in large scale drug de- dealing. And he's just, he's a cr- mean- criminal. Is you you're just gonna go over to this guy this scumbag's house with six grand in cash alone and expect this to go well? You should not, you shouldn't even do that today. No. 
you know, regardless of Meet what in a you're public doing, place. If, Not, don't go if to you're taking house thousands like of dollars to go make a deal, especially for a car, always yeah. take someone with you. Yeah, and go and to a always, public location. Always meet in a public location. Yeah. yeah. This was just an absurd risk, yeah. honestly. But Atchison, who was 57 at the time, waved his friends off and headed over to Muehlberg's house alone. And, of course, he was never seen alive again. Muehlberg... Mm -hmm. However, showed back up at the diner that same night, showing off a stack of newly acquired cash. Oh, look at that. wonder where he got that from. It reminds me of Goodfellas when they do the big heist and the, the one dumbass shows up with a pink Cadillac and his wife's got a new fur coat and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and De Niro's yeah. losing his shit like, don't buy anything, you fucking idiot. Yeah, I don't buy. <laughs> this guy, <laughs> like everyone knows this dude went to Muehlberg's house with six grand and now all of a sudden the guy's gone and he show up with cash. Like, come on. Of course he got right? caught. This is the dumbest shit I've ever heard. Seriously. It reminds me of Masterminds, man. Remember I told you about that story that took place here in North Carolina where yeah. those people, they rob the Wells Fargo. Yeah. And then they immediately take Start the money and go buy wild. like, they go buy like a mansion and then they buy <laughs> new cars. They're buying like all new clothes. They're all in matching like, you know, like remember when like those sweatsuits were popular? Yeah, yeah. The velvet. <laughs> yeah. They're like wearing all matching those. Just draped and they're in like, velvet. They're riding around on like brand new four-wheelers and dirt bikes around their like yeah. rich neighborhoods and Jesus. shit. Like yeah. yeah, that shit didn't last long. Obviously, yeah. I mean, even if even if the the law enforcement doesn't come knocking, IRS is definitely coming for your ass at the very least. Yeah, yeah, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. So uh, Atchison, the victim in this, uh, his family filed a missing per persons report, um, and Muehlberg was immediately a suspect, and police wanted to search his his home. In the following days, according to a 1993 police report, Muehlberg contacted at least two people and asked them to construct a plywood box made to his specifications. That's yeah, not suspicious would, at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, I need it about the size of a full-grown man. That's what. That's yeah. the box size. I mean, it's Six not for foot that. Long, it's not maybe, for that. But yeah, right. You know, it theoretically should be able to fit a full-grown man in it. Okay. Right. Right. I need and, it for equipment. <laughs> right. Yeah. Investigators would uh, later learn that Muehlberg used the makeshift box to store Atchison's body in it. No shit. Um, Muehlberg remained in the house for a week with Atchison's dead body in the makeshift coffin in the basement. And according to another report from 1993, he then fled to Illinois telling a friend that if police searched the basement, he would be locked up the rest of his natural born days. Oh, well, why didn't you get rid of the box? He was trying to. I mean, it's not so easy to get rid of like a, you need help getting, it turns out, getting a full grown man in a fucking makeshift coffin out of your basement. You can't just fucking pick it up, throw it on your shoulder. That's true. That's very, that's very true. And also, he also the guy in with this whole box thing. It's also easier guy, to drag a body out yourself than it is like once you got it inside this box. Right. Exactly. But what we'll find out too is that the body didn't even fit in the box correctly right. either. It's like, wait, you had this specially made. Like yeah. you didn't measure how tall this guy is. Right. Like, why did he not fit in the box? I have so many questions for him. Yeah, Maybe the guy hired, was like, well. I don't think he hired, like, the highest quality carpenter either. It's probably some right. crackhead. <laughs> well, they said you. it was, they. the police described it as a crude coffin. So yeah. I'm sure it was, you know, rough cut, just hammered together. It was made however. out of pallets, bro. Some some wood yeah. pallets. Yeah, probably. Guaranteed. Maybe some old pine wood or some yeah. shit. Right, some balsa wood. Yeah. So from Illinois, he called friends offering them money to go to his house and pretend to do lawn work while checking to see if the police were surveilling his premises. He then offered one man, Jerry Akers, $20,000 to move the box containing Atchison's body out of the basement. Jesus, $20,000, bro. He I'd have to gonna think pay about him. it. He ain't going to pay him. He doesn't have That's 20K, true. first of all. That's and true. And like, once the guy gets the body out of there, what do you think he's going to show up and promptly pay the guy to, in cash? Like, <laughs> fuck no. No, I'd need that up front. Yeah. I'd need that up front. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> Wisely, Akers declined, and he asked another man to go let his dog out. And while he was at it, moved the box containing the hey, body in the basement out. Why are you letting out. the dog out? <laughs> Could you go ahead and move that giant box in the corner too? The I'd bloody, stinky, it, rotten corpse yeah, box in the basement. It's yeah. Just one more. How do you think you pitch this? Hey, can you go let my dogs out, man? Like they've been locked up for a while. They've, yeah. they've got, they need to go. You know, I'm sure. Sure, yeah. man. Oh, one more thing. Just one yeah. little favor. There's a corpse in the basement. Could you? It's in a box. <laughs> His feet are sticking out of the box. Can you just get that yeah. out too for me? Right. Thanks, man. Just run that by your closest riverbank or whatever. Exactly. Toss that in there for me. I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you have an incinerator, that'll work too. Right. I'll bring you a little extra weed by later. Thanks, yeah. man. Yeah. So, of course, Gary would be arrested one month later on March 27th, 1993. They had endless witnesses basically saying, yeah, this guy's telling me he's got yeah. a body in his basement. He did and it. He wants it moved out. <laughs> yeah. And he's on the run. So, yeah. 
Um, the deputy, it's really truly amazing that he got away with murdering five, five plus women for 30 years. When you see how poorly he hid this crime here. But I, once you said, like you said, he was targeting sex workers that looked, worked in the red light district. And yes, sir. Unfortunately, he targeted the wrong person. He targeted someone who had connections to yeah. society, someone a lot of people cared about, someone who was expected to be somewhere. I was going to say part right. of the problem is like we, we, we a lot of times give uh, law enforcement a lot of uh, a lot of flack because it seems like they don't investigate these as hard. But also it's a much tougher investigation because where do you start? We, you know, the, the basic things about a, a homicide investigation is you start within their circle and then you work your way outward. Yeah. You start with people they know. But when you're, you know, you're down in the red light district and anybody could just pull up that doesn't know you doesn't know the victim and then they just take them away that's where do you start with something like that you know exactly it's tough especially in the 90s with a lack of surveillance cameras everywhere and gps and things like that nobody had cell phones yet like it's just where do you start and in and in those districts they don't want cameras yeah i mean the businesses don't want cameras mm -hmm. why would they put them up on the outside you know what i'm saying like yeah. they don't want their own activity getting recorded so yeah and at nighttime in the 90s even if they did have tough. a security camera i mean we see the quality of these fucking security cameras still this day they're still grainy in 2022 they still garbage do you think i don't they look get like that. in 91 what do you think they look like fuck like, a, like an 8-bit video game basically from the 90s i got a four, mario right i got a 4k camera in my pocket but we can't get some decent security cameras out here nowadays it's exactly. crazy man don't make any sense yeah so the deputy from the Wayne County Sheriff's Department in Illinois had uh, had no idea he had handcuffed a serial killer when he when he uh, finally brought in Gary Milberg. Um, he had already killed five women at this point, um, at least, if not more. And during an interrogation in St. Louis, Milberg admitted to police that Atchison was dead in his basement, though he swore he hadn't killed him. Of course not. He's just storing the body okay. for the for the real killer. Right. That's just that right. kind of guy he is. He's that cool. He began to cooperate with law friend. enforcement, but only because he was trying to pin the murder on his boss at the construction company. Milberg insisted that he was being framed, that his boss apparently oh killed this guy and then put him in Milberg's basement because he hated him that much. When you could you know, just boss you know, maybe fire livid. the guy, you go the normal routine when you don't like your employee. Right. Why did he pick his boss, man? Because he has a problem with authority. Exactly. <laughs> he's like, fuck that kill, guy. He, he made kill me two birds, one stone. Get off for murder made... and lock up his boss. And then he's the he boss. He made me stay 30 I'm minutes the captain after. now. <laughs> That's right. He thinks he's just going to show him. up to work on Monday. His boss gets hauled away and he takes over the job site. That's, That's his, yeah. his sick mind. What he thinks is going to happen. His narcissistic world yeah. that he lives in. He's right. just like, this is going to be great. Two birds, yeah. one stone. They'll never get me. 100%. So prior to searching his home, Yoberg told detectives that he had built a secret room, quote unquote, in the northwest corner of his basement. He advised that the entry of, to the room would be gained by pushing a drywall panel just inside the door leading to the basement. You know, I think the whole idea of having a secret room in your basement is that so that people don't know about it. But this guy can't fucking help but tell everyone about his He's secret gotta tell everybody. room, right? He's got to show yeah. everyone. What's the point at that point? Pride. I'm in a secret room. I have a secret room. Not even my wife's going to know about it. My kids, nobody's going to know but me. Right? It's so I a can secret do whatever the hell room. I want in there. It's not going to be any serial killer fun stuff. It's probably just going to be some masturbation or something like that. <laughs> but but either way, it's a secret room. Yes. Ah, damn. Just a chair secret with tissues definition. and lotion. It's probably what right. mine would be. <laughs> and a flat screen on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> well, probably some old nudie mags, man. Let's keep it, let's keep it old oh, school. Oh, okay. Oh, you're keeping it old school. It's like a little yeah. peep show in there. Untraceable. Yeah, there you go. So detectives searching the premises in 1993 uh, found it in total disarray. In the basement's quote-unquote secret room, they found Atchison dead, of course, the body, entombed in a hastily constructed wooden box, quote, a crude coffin, crude coffin, say that three times fast, Right is how police later described it. They couldn't get his whole body in there. His feet were sticking out, for God's sakes. Right. I mean, this is truly like the Three Stooges murdered somebody. He just like did him not and his give friends. a shit. But, I mean, look how long he had gotten away with killing people, though. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've talked about this so many times. They get really comfortable, mm -hmm. and they're already narcissists. They already he think picked they're a guy that he was connected else. to, a guy that people knew was going to his house to purchase a car. It's yeah. different than just picking up a girl in the red light district and then driving away, and no one knows where you're headed, who you are, any of that. Right. And you're probably, right. like we mentioned earlier, driving a stolen car to begin with, so... Um, yeah. Well, he doesn't have anything now, right? He's divorced. He doesn't have his kids in his life. He yeah. hates his fucking job. He hates his boss. Yeah. I mean, six thousand dollars in nineteen ninety. a lot of money. Last you a long time, man. You probably live live six months on that shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of late night diner beers. Yeah. Exactly. 
quote, this guy must have been pretty tough old guy because he had a rope around his neck. He'd been stabbed. He'd been shot. And they tried to kill him three different ways. Jesus. Mm. Um, Muehlberg had also secured Atchison's hands with a pair of, pair of handcuffs. The car Muehlberg had claimed to want to sell to Atchison turned out to be stolen. So the whole thing was a sham to begin with. There you go. Yeah, the car couldn't have been, couldn't have even been legally sold. He didn't have the the title to it. He didn't it. have the title. Yeah. Right. After killing the prospective buyer and taking his $6,000 cash, Muehlberg sold it to his boss at the construction company. Oh, my God. <laughs> so he did get back still, his old boss, I still suppose. still his boss I don't over. think the boss would get any, any, any of that money back. That's all you we really want. You buy a wanted. stolen car and you don't have the title. That's on so, you, bro. So now he's made twelve grand on this car. Yeah. Oh, I don't know if he sold it for six to the boss. He probably gave him a discount thing, you know. Oh, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? But uh, during Muehlberg's 1995 trial, the defense claimed that he had been framed by his boss. Quote, or the jury didn't buy the implausible story, sentencing Muehlberg to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Yeah, that's that's hard to believe that one. You know, where where's yeah. your evidence that your boss uh, framed know, you right? and put this body in your basement? He just oh. thought he was going to be charismatic enough to just woo them with that statement yeah so the prosecutor in this trial doug seidel um who put muehlberg in prison in 1995 said we had quote no information tying him to other crimes so they just thought this guy was you know at the time they had no information yeah they had no yeah. no idea they were they were locking away a serial killer that targeted sex workers they just thought this guy ripped this guy off killed him yada yada right and right. he'd go on to live in prison for the next couple decades with no one knowing he was the package killer. So despite his yeah, life I mean, sentence, go ahead. He didn't even he didn't even plead guilty to killing Atchison. Right. Right? No, he yeah, never no, admitted he, he to still, anything. Yeah. No. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, he still denied that, said he was framed, yada yada. It's absurd. Despite his life sentence for Atchison's murder, Muehlberg refused to concede his guilt, penning lengthy the lengthy long shot legal motions appealing his conviction on the grounds that his trial had been unfair. The jury biased on his and his defense inadequate. So it's always with these guys, it's always everyone else's fault, right? He's the oh, victim absolutely. here. He's absolutely. The victim. By 1999, his options for appeal had been exhausted and Muehlberg would be spending the rest of his life in prison. According to a uh, source familiar with the uh, correctional center, Muehlberg had been, had been and has been still to this day, a quote, model inmate who keeps himself, keeps to himself and doesn't give the staff any problems. That's so common as, as well, right? With serial killers, isn't it? Isn't it, it like is. where they go to prison and all of a sudden they're model inmates? Like, well, of course. Like, look at There's Gacy nobody. was like the, the everyone's favorite cook in prison and like performer, and everyone loved him in prison. You know, these, this dude fucking right. like strangled like thirty boys. Like, he was an absolute animal, a monster. Well, yeah, but now they're in there among other animals. What the fuck are they gonna sure. do? Try something, yeah. bro. Try some, something. Some, you, a lot of the guys that he was killed. A lot of the guys he was with were probably got fucking locked away for. Th three uh you know having pot on them three times or something like that that's true that's so. true but even though even though those guys that spend long sentences in there they might have went in for weed but they're animals by the you know a few yeah. years later they don't have any choice yeah you yeah know? i think we've definitely become different people if we got locked in a high security Absolutely. prison you have you to know, dangerous your guys. frame yeah your frame <laughs> of mind has to change your your daily activities your habits everything yeah. everything's different so yeah. Gary Muehlberg had been in prison for 29 years when this summer Jody Weber, uh, 22 year veteran, 22 years old, finally got yeah. a hit from CODIS, uh, <laughs> linking Muehlberg <laughs> to the package murders. So right, uh, DNA uh, DNA finally came along. The technology long far enough that they could do uh, samples from tiny little you know pieces of DNA that were left on the clothing of these victims. Right. Um, she said that because Muehlberg is a prison inmate, his DNA was in the FBI's combined DNA index system, CODIS, waiting for her to connect it to the murders of Meehan, Pruitt, and Little. And in July, Sandy Little's son, Chris Day Jr., so one of the victims, Sandy Little, she had a, she had a baby at the time, a little baby boy who's now yeah. a man. And um, she, uh, she asked him to come in uh, to the O'Fallon police station where Weber swabbed his nose for DNA sample and was able to connect that as well. Um, just strengthening the case. And by summer, police sources say that they had four pieces of physical evidence from three victims that connected back to Muehlberg. And Weber would pay him a visit in Potosi Correctional Facility. And this is a little bit like, um, you know, like, uh, what's that show we love on Netflix? Mine Hunter. Oh, it's a little Mine bit Hunter. like that. Yes. She, goes, she goes and sits down and talks to him and, and gets a relationship with him. 
and helps to get him to confess to these murders. Quote, he was surprised to see us after 32 years, Weber says of their first meeting. Muehlberg was not in good health, which meant that Weber had to act quickly or risk the man taking the secrets with him to the grave. Quote, I have to be friends with him, she said. Friends is too strong of a word. I have to be open to what he says, whether I like it or not. So she's Mm. trying to get him to trust her. And yeah. You know uh, what just occurred to me? You know how you said he's not in good health? Well, he wasn't in good health 30 years ago either. So it's like... Yeah, that's what he was telling his friends then, right? That's why he he wasn't working at the time Mm -hmm. and he was only selling weed. Yeah, you're right. He's definitely full of shit. He's just a little, woe is me. Oh, not in good health. Blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Probably just got really shitty habits. Right. Yeah. (laughs) 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Muehlberg was initially hesitant to discuss his heinous crimes. Quote, it was hard for him to talk about it, she says, describing him as remorseful. However, she developed a rapport with Muehlberg, and the second time she interviewed him, he opened up. She says he described the details of all three gruesome murders, giving her a confession. It almost seemed to give him relief. Quote, he wanted to shake my hand at the end of the interview. She said she had no choice but to extend her hand as well. It was in everyone's interest that Muehlberg remained willing to keep talking. She'd soon find out that he had even more to tell. On August 5th, friends and relatives of Robin Meehan, Brendan Pruitt, uh, and Sandy Little gathered at a nondescript municipal courtroom in O'Fallon to find out who had killed the killed you know their loved one 32 years ago, and she has this whole conference where she you know has them discuss their family members that they lost so many years ago, and then she reveals the identity of this monster that had killed them. Yeah. Um, and about three weeks after meeting with the families, Weber went to interview Muehlberg for a third time. He didn't have much more to say to her, but then a few days later, Weber got a letter from Muehlberg and the details uh, are still scant about Muehlberg's letter, but in it, he confessed to two more murders, both women. Three months after Muhan's murder, 40-year-old Donna Rittmeyer was out, work, taking, uh, was out uh, working the stroll with her friends, so that same stretch of road right in downtown St. Louis um, and basically became another victim of his um, Rittmeyer gave her friend a business card and according to police reports said that nothing ever happened to her, but Leach, uh, should tell people about this guy. The name on the card was Frank, whom Rittmeyer had dated a few times. She was afraid of him because she seemed, he, he seemed obsessed with her, stalking her while she was working. Did he make up fake business cards to give to people to like put them off his scent or something? That's apparently. I know, right? Yeah. So apparently her friend, you know, the friend of the victim here, Leach, went to a nearby KFC for a soda. And when she came out, Rittmeyer, her friend, was gone. And hours went by without Rittmeyer returning. And the next morning, her friend Leach would report her missing. Eight days later, Rittmeyer's body was found in a brown rubber-made trash bin uh, along the intersection of South Broadway uh, and Gasconade Street, seven blocks south of the stroll. And this apparently is another victim of his. Mm. Yeah. And he ends up placing her, I think, in a bin that he yeah. got from some hardware store. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So police had investigated Rittmeyer's death in connection to the package killer, but it never had any definitive proof until Muehlberg's written, Muehlberg's written confession. And he said that there was a fifth victim as well, a woman he killed in early 1991. Um, but I think that she remained a Jane Doe. Um, yeah, yeah, because he couldn't remember her name either. He couldn't remember her name, yeah. And yeah. I don't know if they ever found the body or what, but uh, all you can say that is that he left her body in a metal container in a self-service car wash. Who knows what happened with that? Oh my god! But Jody Weber self-service Webber, car wash; those probably get dumped all the time too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Jody uh, is still at this point, like we said, this is fresh breaking stuff just earlier this year and up until right. August. And so she's still now pouring through missing persons reports from that time frame and trying to maintain a relationship with Gary Milberg so that, you know, if she finds some more potential like Jane Doe's or some victims that their, their yeah. cases are cold from the area at the time, she can ask him about it and maybe get more closure for these families. Cause you know, right he probably on. killed more than five women. I mean, it, Most it's likely. rare that they take a 30 year layoff like that and they just don't kill at all. Granted, I he's know, been in right? prison for 20 something years. He's been in prison since 93. So, but I, I just feel like he was, you know, at the time he was killing every two, three months and from right. 91 until 93, you're telling me he didn't kill anybody until he killed that guy over the car deal? Right. I doubt it. Come on. I seriously doubt it. Me too. Me too. Especially if this is how he's getting off. And then most most of his victims were women. Yeah. You know, the only reason he killed that guy was for financial gain. It was just a quick buck to be made. Yep. You know, he thought, well, he's he's a loner. Nobody will care. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he really fucked up. 
And I, man, it got it sucks though to be to be this investigator, Jody Weber, and have to maintain a friendship with this person. Yeah, you know that that is that's got to be keep a in tough mind part the good of the that job. You're doing, the good that you're doing, you know. I know, I know, I know. It's just tough. It's tough. It's like playing a creepy role or something. Like when you're acting, you know what I'm saying? Like when you, yeah. I don't know. Sure. It just it it kind of rubs off on you a little bit. You're like, ugh. Oh, man. That's that's life. I mean, how many people have to deal with assholes in customer service in a job where you do customer service and you're like, fuck, I don't want to. Yeah, be to but this I mean, <laughs> I mean, some Karen who feels like she was overcharged is a totally different. Sure. Totally different story you also get a than much a greater, serial killer. You also get a much greater reward for dealing with the serial killer than you do for dealing with this Karen. You get to, <laughs> yeah. to keep your fucking mediocre paying job. Right, 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 right. I agree. I agree. Well, don't uh, keep you your mediocre agree. deodorant, though. I was going to say, do you also agree that, that, you know, Oh My Guy is far beyond mediocre deodorant and I all agree. natural for your armpits? I 100%. Trade in your mediocre deodorant for some real deodorant from That's Oh My right. Gaia. Real deal. That's right, because Oh My Gaia is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And at Oh My Gaia, they use only all-natural, paraben, and aluminum-free organic ingredients, guys. And there's tons of scents to choose from, from vanilla, cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, uh, sweet pea, sailor, barbershop, pear, bergamot, amber. Um, and we have our very own scent, True Crime Pine, a great unisex scent, which a lot of these scents are. Um, if you don't know where to start, True Crime Pine is a great place. Uh, and because you're True Crime Guys listeners, you can use the word creeper for 15% off your order. That's creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R. And you can use that code at shop underscore ohmygaia on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. Guys, for all natural deodorant. And again, hey, it's beard growing season, right? It's fall. Everybody's right. no shave. No shave November's coming up. You want to keep that beard smelling and feeling good. Check out your Oh My Gaia beard oil, and you can get it in whatever scent you already like. Yep. So there you go, guys. Check it out. Support that great company that we've been working with for years, as well as right. Tonic CBD. Tonic's yes. farm-to-bottle CBD plus botanical blends are uniquely formulated to provide targeted support where you need it most. Each and every high-quality ingredient is thoughtfully selected for its ability to support and enhance the benefits of CBD, resulting in a more effective, well-rounded, and consistent wellness solution for your mind and body. They have a bunch of different blends, just like Oh My Guy has a bunch of different scents. Uh, Chill Tonic has been my favorite to take at night before bed to help me get a good night's sleep and reduce anxiety. It has ashwagandha, lemon balm, and passion flower to deliver a super calming effect. And it also has uh, black seed oil in some of their blends, which is a powerful antioxidant. Um, it's also easy to qualify, uh, to verify the quality of their products. When you get their, their product, the packaging has a container that you tap your phone on and it gives you third-party lab reports, product information, details about their farm and helpful blog posts to provide you with CD, CBD education. So with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are good for you, good for the people and the planet. Visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word creeper to get 20% off your order. That's tonicvibes.com, code word creeper for 20% off. There you go, guys. Products to live with, man. Every We use these products every day, both of us, both Absolutely. Tonic CBD and Oh My Gaia. It's part yes. of our daily routine, as it should be yours. Absolutely. Also, daily part of your daily routine should be listening to our extra content over on patreon.com slash Guys. $2 a month yes. gets you access to our once a month premium Patreon only episode, lots of those three plus hours. They're the heavy hitters like Gacy that we mentioned earlier. And our first right. 50 episodes are in there in the vault. You can only get to them through Patreon, $2 a month or $5 a month. You get even more content like Just the Banter, a show where me and Michael shoot the shit. Right. Um, and all of other Michael's other shows, Sandu, Sandu Stories, all of that stuff available yep. on the $5 tier. You get Strange it all. Strange Shorts every yep. single Monday. Yep. So, yeah, there's a lot going on on Patreon, guys. You can pay up for a year as well. You can pay $21 yes. for uh, the $2 tier for a year and you're done. It's not hitting your card every month. Or you can pay $54 for the year for the $5 tier and just be done for a whole year. Exactly. You get a 10% discount. Yep. Yeah, you actually save money by doing that. So That's right. Is that All it? All right, man. I think that's it, man. We will have new patches available very soon, guys. Keep your keep your uh, ear to the ground on that. Check out our social media, at True Crime Guys, wherever you are. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, yep. Facebook, whatever. So be on the lookout for those posts. There'll be new 
uh, limited edition True Crime Guys patches coming out very soon. All right. I love it. All right, guys. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Keep creeping. Keep creeping, guys. True crime, guys. In the desert, we like a mirage. It's okay if you clicked on us because you thought we was true crime garage. Now we ain't mad at you. Sit down, let us talk at you. I'm talking to the creeper army. We out here making murder, get murder, get murder. of True Crime Guys proper, Strange and Unexplained on Mondays, and Full House Fantasy Football on Fridays to start your weekend. And if those aren't enough, head on over to our Patreon account, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of content, including older episodes and other Patreon exclusives like Strange Shorts, Sandu Stories, Higher Thoughts, and the 5-Minute Murder Show. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. How do you, how do you shut this thing off? Over? Get my show out, boy.